I want you to imagine you've just moved into your dream home. You met with the realtor. You've signed on the dotted line. You found the perfect place for you and your family. A home where you can make memories. A house you can grow into. It's truly everything you've ever wanted. This place is 100% yours. A brand new start. But as soon as you move in, the home doesn't feel like your own. It feels like it belongs to someone or something else. You start hearing strange sounds. You begin seeing things out of the corner of your eye. You occasionally notice the sound of footsteps coming from the room above you when you know you're home alone. At first, you try to rationalize it. Maybe it's just because it's a new house. You just need time to settle in. Give it a chance. Stop being crazy, you tell yourself. But the longer you stay, the worse it gets. You see that when neighbors pass by your house, they cross to the other side of the street and always give it an uneasy glance. Inside, the fear is only getting more intense by the day. You just can't shake the feeling that someone is watching you. And you realize that your dream home has turned into a living nightmare. As Thomas Hood wrote, For overall there hung a cloud of fear, a sense of mystery, the spirit daunted. And said as plain as a whisper in the ear, the place is haunted. Today, we have three true stories of hauntings across America. Real accounts from real families who experience some of the most unexplainable paranormal events you'll ever hear. Encounters that will send a chill up your spine. I'm Avery Ross, and this is Avery After Dark. Today's episode, we have not just one, not just two, but three truly chilling ghost stories. All true accounts, all documented hauntings. I gotta tell you all, I love these episodes. And I know you do too, because every week I get numerous requests from you all to cover more hauntings. So ask and you shall receive. And it's been a while since we did a haunted house episode. Are you ready? But first, many of you already know, but you can watch all Avery After Dark podcast episodes on YouTube now. I live in the editing room all week long and love to bring you all these episodes with really awesome photos and videos to go along with these stories and cases. It's all for your viewing pleasure. So make sure you are subscribed to the Avery After Dark YouTube channel and turn on post notifications. I don't want you all to ever miss an episode. Make sure to follow this podcast wherever you're listening and leave a rating and a review on Apple Podcasts. I love reading your reviews. It helps so much so I can continue building Avery After Dark. And I don't know if you all have seen the calendar lately, but we're really on the cusp of spooky season. It's going to be here before we know it. So be sure to send this podcast to your friends, family, coworkers, anyone you know who needs a little spookiness, a little mystery in their life. And if you want all these episodes early and ad-free, join the Patreon. Linking that below in the show notes. I love all my Patreon members. And I cannot thank you all enough for the support. Without further ado, it's time for today's first story. This is the Tatum family haunting. The story begins in a quiet suburb near Atlanta, Georgia. Jim and Kay Tatum had just built a new home with plans to retire soon. They had saved up their whole lives to build this dream home, a place they could call their own and really enjoy their upcoming years of retirement. But in January 1986, five months after they moved in, the Tatums began to experience a series of unsettling events. And these events would ultimately force them out of the home. 
The couple ended up putting their house up for sale because of what transpired inside. It all started one night when Kay and Jim Tatum had gone to bed for the evening, but Kay couldn't fall asleep. She was tossing and turning and couldn't shake this strange feeling. She sensed a presence in the hall outside their bedroom. Call it women's intuition. Her husband, Jim, was next to her fast asleep. So she quietly pushed herself out of bed and went to investigate. She walked out into their hallway, looked around, but didn't see or hear anything. So she made her way into the hall bathroom, and as soon as she did, Kay looked up and caught a glimpse of a man walking by, moving quickly down the hallway. Kay said it was definitely a man, and he was swinging his arms lightly. His head was slightly bent, and he walked quickly past me. Keep in mind, it's in the middle of the night, and it's dark. At first glance, Kay thought it was her husband, Jim. She didn't hear him get up, but figured he must have woken up. She called out, Jim? No response. Kay quickly walked back into their bedroom and was shocked to see there was her husband, still asleep in bed. Uh Uh-oh. So Kay now thinks there is a burglar inside their home. She yelled, woke Jim up, telling him that she just saw a man walking down the hallway. She's frantic at this point, and Jim jumps up, grabs a gun, and starts looking around. He searches all over the house, checking bedroom after bedroom. He looked in every closet, every place someone could be hiding, expecting to find a burglar in the home. But the house was empty. He checked all the doors, the windows, but said there was no evidence of any entry or of anyone having been inside the home. Hmm. Everything was locked up tight. This just made no sense. So Jim goes back to Kay and tells her there's no one inside the house. And Jim initially thought that his wife maybe had an overactive imagination. Maybe since it was the middle of the night, she was still half asleep. But he never knew his wife to make up this kind of thing. She was a very logical person. But there was no proof there was ever any man inside the house. But Kay knew what she saw and felt. That night, she laid in bed, unable to sleep, still creeped out. And the more she thought about it, she began to suspect that the man may have not been an actual living person at all. This is because she recalled that she didn't hear any sound as the figure passed by her. No footsteps, no movement. What you would expect if a burglar was trying to slip past in a robbery, you would hear him running down the hall. Overall, Kay was pretty bothered by the entire ordeal and remained confused and unsure as to what she even saw. Either way, the couple tried to move on and over time, Jim made a joke out of it occasionally teasing Kay as to what she thought she saw. Ooh, our house is haunted. Two months passed by without incident. Then, one evening around dinner time in March, Jim was working upstairs in the home. He was doing a little fixing up and had all of his tools out. He stopped for the evening when Kay called him down to dinner, and as he always did, he made sure to unplug his drill before he left it. It was an older drill and would get really hot if it was left plugged in, So, as a safety measure, he always made sure to unplug it from the wall socket. Jim then left and went downstairs. After dinner, Jim decided to watch a movie while Kay went back upstairs to read. An hour or so later, Kay was lying in bed and then heard the sound of Jim's drill turning on and revving up, coming from outside her room in the hallway. She heard it, clear as day. Kay assumed that Jim was teasing her again about having seen the ghost and was turning on the drill to try and mess with her. 
but the drill kept revving and revving. Eventually, Kay felt the joke had gone on long enough. Very funny, but it was getting annoying now. So she got up, walked out, and once she stepped into the hallway, the drill sound immediately stopped. She looked down the hallway and saw that the drill was unplugged and Jim was nowhere to be found. She called out to him and realized he was still downstairs watching a movie. So now this is the second incident and Kay is starting to become really frightened. She said she was even more spooked when she reached down to feel the drill and it was ice cold. It had not been turned on. Kay immediately went downstairs and tells Jim about what happened. And at this point, Jim too started to believe that something strange was going on. He said he knew that something was happening because Kay, his wife, who he had been married to for decades, was a very level-headed person. For her to be this scared, something was going on inside the house. And the couple wasn't quite sure why Kay was the only one experiencing these things. In covering their bases, the Tatums were very rational. They had their home tested for a carbon monoxide leak. Maybe that was the issue leading to Kay seeing and hearing these things. But there was no leak of any kind. The house was in perfect order. She was checked by a doctor. Completely healthy. Unfortunately for the Tatums, there was no logical explanation for what was going on. And the strange events continued. One night, Kay heard the sound of coins falling into a bowl from the other room. And she was at home alone. Another time, while cooking, as Kay stood facing the counter preparing lunch, she felt two sharp tugs on the back of her blouse, as if someone was standing behind her, yanking on her shirt. She whipped around. There was no one there. So now, the entity was getting more physical. She said, after that incident, I decided we had a problem in this house. It wasn't something that we could understand or explain, but there was something definitely going on. Uneasy about what was happening inside their house, Jim and Kay turned to an expert and enlisted the help of a parapsychologist named William Roll. Parapsychology refers to the study of paranormal activity, psychic phenomenon, and many other paranormal claims such as near-death experiences. They are studiers of the supernatural. But as you may expect, this area of work and study isn't widely accepted or embraced by the scientific world. So, William Roll came over to the house, met the Tatums, and interviewed them. He also toured the home and tried to get a sense of what was going on. William Roll was interviewed and said, The question comes up, why is this family having these experiences? Is there some sort of ghost that has come back to haunt them for some unknown reason? What's taking place? A lot of people have these experiences. It's part of who we are as humans, to have these so-called psychic experiences. But who or what the spirit was that seemed to emerge out of the blue and attach itself to the home and to Kay remained a mystery. And it wasn't long before Jim finally had his first experience with the entity. It started with a small bell. Now, Jim was usually an early riser and would get up hours before Kay. In the mornings, he would go downstairs, have breakfast, read the paper... And when Kay woke up, she would ring the bell if she needed anything upstairs, if she needed help with anything. One morning, Jim heard what he assumed was Kay ringing the bell from upstairs. He made the usual climb to the top floor, but when he got to their bedroom, he found his wife still fast asleep. He thought it was strange, but brushed it off. But it happened again a few more times. 
He would be downstairs, hear the bell ring, only to go upstairs and find his wife still asleep. Who was ringing the bell? After the third time this happened, the Tatums began discussing how they could handle this. And they decided to make up a code in order to outwit the entity. Uh Uh-huh. Yeah. So out loud in the kitchen, they discussed this. And Kay said that if it was actually her, she would ring the bell three times if she wanted Jim to come upstairs. They came to an agreement and thought that this should solve the issue. Can you guess what happened next? Shortly after this, one morning, Jim heard the bell, and he said it rang three times. Thinking this had to be his wife, he went upstairs to find that Kay was still sound asleep, and the bell had been moved to another bedroom. Jim said he went in, looked at the bell, then turned around and was walking out the door. And as he was, the bell rang again, on its own. So not only did this entity obviously know about the deal they made, it appeared it was enjoying messing with them. At this point, Jim was absolutely freaked out. When interviewed, he said he began to see how Kay had been feeling, being so scared. Having these really creepy experiences, he said the hair on the back of his neck stood up, and he told Kay from then on, no more bell. He was not going to answer that bell anymore. And after he said that out loud to his wife, the bell never rang ever again. In the interviews with Jim, when he speaks about the haunting, he actually gets pretty emotional. I think for two reasons. One, he finally realized what his wife had been going through and was feeling sympathy for her. Maybe he felt bad for dismissing it in the beginning and making a joke out of it. Secondly, this entire thing seemed to really change his view on the supernatural. He said that he had never ever experienced anything like this and wasn't a believer in the paranormal until this happened. Because not only did he hear the bell ringing on its own countless times, It was clear that whoever this ghost was, this entity, wanted to mess with the couple. Overall, a good lesson can be learned here. You can't trick a ghost. They can walk through walls. They see everything. William Roll spoke of the case and said, There are a number of haunting cases that are not very striking, not very strong. But where the phenomenon is, nevertheless, is quite disturbing to the family. It might be a bell ringing, a fleeting glimpse of an apparition. The events are trivial, but they're deeply upsetting to the family because they don't fit into the picture that most of us have of the world. Very well put. In the end, although their experiences weren't the kind that would send you running out the front door in the middle of the night, the Tatums ultimately decided that they wanted no part of it. They put the house up for sale shortly after the incident with the bell ringing and sold it to another family. They said it wasn't so much that they felt the ghost was dangerous. Kay always said it seemed more like a teasing prankster spirit, but they just weren't up for living in a haunted house. And a lot of people aren't. They were really looking for a relaxed retirement, not spending their days cohabitating with a ghost who enjoyed pulling pranks on them. And after moving into another home, They never reported any experiences like this ever again. So whatever it was didn't seem to follow them. And upon looking a bit more into the area this all took place, it said this was the corner from the bloody battle of the Kennesaw Mountain near Marietta, Georgia. 
The battle was fought in June 1864 and was the most significant frontal assault landed by Union General William Sherman against the Confederate Army of Tennessee. We all know the South, Georgia, holds a lot of Civil War history. And the story is that this new housing development was placed on the land of the battle site. And according to friends and family of the Tatums, they reportedly believed that the ghost in their home was likely an old Civil War soldier. Given the history of the land and the fact that Kay saw a male entity, this seems like a likely explanation. For whatever reason, the spirit seemed to gravitate towards the Tatums and stuck around. The story of the Tatum's haunting is an interesting one because it wasn't anything outlandishly scary. I mean, if I saw a man walking past me in my hallway in the middle of the night, <laughs> I would be freaking out just like Kay was. But this haunting was a bit more subdued. There was obviously something going on inside the Tatum's home. And the ties to the Civil War battleground add an extra layer of spookiness to the story. A good question is, what would be scarier? A haunting with a spirit that's more evident and in your face, or an entity that is more discreet and plays tricks on you and messes with your family over a long period of time, psychologically wearing you down. Hmm. Personally, I would prefer neither and just have a Casper the Friendly Ghost hanging around. I would like that. Very much. All right, so how are we doing? Are we ready to take it up a notch? The Tatum family haunting is pretty PG. Our next story is a bit more chilling. This is the Smith family haunting. This story begins in 1972, when a newly married couple who did not want their names used publicly, we'll refer to them as Joe and Mary Smith, moved into a new home in a suburb of Cleveland, Ohio. Because of what took place in the home, they wanted to remain anonymous. Joe and Mary were really in that beginning phase of life. Different than the Tatums, they had just gotten married and were in the process of starting their family. The couple toured the home in question and felt that this house was the one for them, and they moved in. In the first months in the house seemed to go by without incident. They were happily settling in. But a few months later, as Mary was pregnant with their first child, she was in the house alone one day when suddenly she heard a loud banging commotion coming from the attic. Knowing she was by herself and scared, she called her father, who was a police officer, and he came running over. He got inside and immediately ran to the attic, expecting to find a burglar, but found no one. The attic was empty, but the place was a complete mess, like it had been ransacked. As the months passed, the activity continued. The couple would see doorknobs turning by themselves and would hear strange noises coming from all over the house. Mary knew something was off in the home and began to look into the history of the home itself. It was an older house. She looked through historical records and learned that a boy had disappeared in the house decades earlier. Mary learned that the previous owners of the home had adopted a young boy in the 1940s. One day, the child mysteriously vanished and has never been found. This was an unsettling find, and she vowed she would continue looking for answers. She wanted to make this work. She wanted to stay in the house. One day, when her child was about the same age as the missing boy, he began these strange, alarming screaming fits for no apparent reason. A few weeks later, he visited his grandmother and had one of these fits again. When the grandmother asked the boy what was wrong, he pointed to a picture 
of the devil. He later told his mother that he had seen the same figure in his bedroom late at night. But Mary soon realized that the ghosts in her house were not all malevolent. Mary became pregnant again, and after her second child was born, he suffered a severe case of jaundice. This required surgery and numerous hospital visits. Mary said that one day, while she was praying for her child, she watched as a bright light came from her baby's room. According to her, when she walked into the bedroom to her baby, she was shocked and found that all traces of the jaundice was gone. Whatever light came into that baby's bedroom healed it. So it appeared there were dark forces in the home, but also forces of light. Time progressed and the activity continued on. Mary became pregnant again, and when her third son was five years old, he told his mom that he had seen the ghost of a man walking down their staircase. And not long after this, her son soon began having severe stomach pains. Doctors did test after test, but could not find a cause for the stomach problems. In 1993, Mary, in her continued effort into researching her home, went back to the historical records and kept digging, wanting to find out more about the history of the home. What took place here? And finally, she found some really old records and actually discovered that the missing boy that she thought had just disappeared had actually died under mysterious and suspicious circumstances and was buried somewhere on the property. But it remains unknown what truly happened to the boy. That night, after finding this new information, Mary tried to go to bed and began to experience something she had never felt before in her entire life. She said that she suddenly began to feel random and strong electrical shocks throughout her body, and she said she felt like she was going to die. She was not injured, but the entire experience really scared her. Both Mary and her children were having physical reactions and illnesses thought to be either caused or connected to the home and paranormal activity. That's when you know things are getting bad. And during this event downstairs, Mary's son found that the dryer had been going on and off without explanation. Dr. Andrew Nichols, a parapsychologist, investigated the ghosts at the Smith House. His team, which included Dr. William Roll, who worked on the Tatum's case, conducted a series of tests which included energy field tests to see if there was any unusual energy fields inside the home. Dr. Nichols found that a dresser left behind by the previous owners had a large electromagnetic field. And he also found strong energy fields from a well in the basement that goes down into an underground lake. And he believes that the energy fields from the well might be responsible for the strange activity in the house. The Smith family eventually moved out of the home, but the reason behind their series of ailments and illnesses has never been identified. What happened inside the Smith home remains a mystery, and the actual address has never been released. Makes you wonder if the new residents have experienced anything inside. The Smith haunting is another really alarming case where the residents of the home are becoming physically affected by the activity itself. But I do love that Mary experienced light there and that her baby was healed, which is miraculous. For our final story, we're getting really chilling. This is a better known haunting and one that's become pretty infamous. It's thought to have inspired the film Poltergeist, 
This entire case is really unnerving and is one of the most intense hauntings I have ever heard of. I want to start with a question. Do you know what's beneath the ground that your house or apartment was built on? Most people have no clue. I have no idea. They find a home they like in an area they desire and move in. And it could be that it's just some dirt and rocks. Or perhaps there's something more. Something or someone buried underneath your home. Back in the early 1980s, residents of the newly developed Newport subdivision located just outside of Houston, Texas, started experiencing something otherworldly. This is the haunting of Black Hope Cemetery. Just outside of Houston, Texas is a neighborhood. The Newport subdivision, known for its upscale homes and manicured lawns. In the early 1980s, Sam and Judith Haney settled into a home at the far western edge of the development. Sam Haney described it as their dream house. He said when they bought the house in Newport, it was the home they had always been looking for. And it was a place they intended to stay in for a long time, possibly forever. And they were making a lot of plans to make the house their own. One of these plans included putting in a swimming pool in their backyard. They had plenty of space for it and had always wanted a pool. They thought it would be great for family to come over. They were looking forward to hosting get-togethers. They had just laid out the plans and were beginning construction on the pool. But there was a morbid secret about the Haney's perfect home, one that soon turned their lives into a never-ending nightmare. Sam said it all began with a knock at the door. One afternoon, a mysterious stranger showed up at the Haney's front door with an ominous warning. The elderly man told Sam that he had noticed they were putting a swimming pool in their backyard. Sam said, yeah. The older man then looked at him and said, there was something about their backyard that Sam needed to know. So this mystery gentleman and Sam made their way to the backyard. And the man pointed at the ground and said, there are some graves right here. He then marked a spot on the ground where they were and said, there are two graves right here. Sam said he didn't really know how to react to that. He didn't know who this man was, if he was crazy, or if he was joking. He said he couldn't understand why anyone would joke about something like that, but the entire encounter was strange. When purchasing the home, the developers and realtors never said a word about their home being built on a cemetery. So this was all just really shocking. The mysterious man then walked off and he never saw or heard from him ever again. But this left Sam standing there in the backyard, wondering what in the world just happened. Sam went in and told his wife, Judith, about the mysterious man and what he told him. It was at this point that Judith said the entire tone of the home shifted. That day, they realized that their dream home was actually a graveyard. There are bodies in the backyard. We'll be right back. You're back with Avery After Dark. After the strange visit from the mystery man alerting the couple their backyard was actually a cemetery, the Haney's felt they needed to know if this was for real. So using a backhoe, Sam decided to see if the man's claims were true. So they got to digging. Sam says it wasn't long before they hit something. He said at that point, we stopped with the backhoe and we got down into the hole and continued digging by hand. There were pine boards when we lifted up the first board, we could see an indentation of a skeletal form. 
It didn't take long to figure out that it was actual human remains. What Sam had found was an old-fashioned pine coffin, and over the years, the coffin had been crushed from the weight of the earth. Sam immediately called the sheriff and county coroner, and they officially exhumed the bodies. They found that most of the bones had turned to powder, but 25 fragments were found, some so brittle that they actually disintegrated when touched. A second coffin, located alongside the first, seemed to be untouched, but there were skeletal remains in that one as well. The mystery man was right. The Haneys were living on top of a burial site. Inside the coffins, two wedding rings were discovered on the frail index finger of one of the exposed skeletons. Now, Judith Haney was mortified by the discovery and felt awful. As they handed Judith the rings, she said she felt sick to her stomach to think they had desecrated someone's grave. Again, this couple had no knowledge that they were moving on top of a cemetery, or else they wouldn't have moved in. Wanting desperately to do the right thing, the Haneys decided to find out whose remains were buried in their backyard. And their search led them to a longtime resident named Jasper Norton. Years earlier, Norton told them that he had dug several graves in the area. He also informed the Haneys something that horrified them. He told them that their home and a dozen others in the neighborhood were built on top of an old African-American cemetery called Black Hope. The last burial was in 1939, and as many as 60 people were buried there in often unmarked graves. In this time period, many people would mark their graves however they could, sometimes with markings on trees or with little stones. The two people buried in the Haney's backyard were identified as Betty and Charlie Thomas. Reports say the couple was freed from slavery after the Civil War, and they both died during the 1930s. Time passed and eventually the land was sold off to developers. If the real estate developers did know this was a cemetery, they did not inform any of the residents of this fact. So the Haneys were faced with a big question. What do you do when you find two bodies in your backyard? Your choices are either leave them be or move them. And Judith and Sam Haney made a decision. With no members of the Thomas family still there, they felt it was their responsibility. So they reburied Betty and Charlie in their own backyard, wanting to respect and cohabitate with them and pray their spirits would rest in peace. But after this, everything changed. It began one night as Judith was lying in bed. She said there was a clock in her bedroom and one evening, it started sparking and putting out a sort of blue glow. When Judith checked the clock, she found that it was unplugged. And this was only the beginning of the Haney's ordeal. Another evening, Sam Haney left and worked the night shift, leaving Judith home alone. That night, she was upstairs getting ready for bed, when suddenly, she heard the sliding glass door open downstairs and heard what she thought was Sam saying, What are you doing? The sliding glass doors opened to their backyard. Judith assumed that her husband had come back home and perhaps left something. So she called out to him, walked downstairs, but found no one there. It was completely dark. Sam wasn't there, and the sliding glass door was locked. With everything that had happened, Judith said she thought she was losing her mind. Finding the burial site must have really gotten to her. And so she tried to brush it off. 
The next morning, she woke up and went to her closet to get ready for the day. Judith began looking for a specific pair of red shoes, ones she liked wearing. But she couldn't find them anywhere. Sam started looking for them too, and the couple went through all of their closets, but they were gone. Later that day, the couple was in their backyard and had just walked a short distance from where the grave sites were, when Sam looked over and spotted something. He could see something on top of the graves. They walked over to find Judith's red shoes placed on top of the graves. The shoes were right there, both side by side like someone had just picked them up, carried them over, and laid them down on the gravesite. Even more disturbing to Sam was the realization what day it was. They looked at the records and saw it was Betty Thomas's birthday. Now Sam said, I kind of got the feeling like it was Charlie giving Betty a birthday present. But Judith felt differently. She said, I began to come to the realization that this was not all in my mind and that this had to have some relationship to Betty and Charlie's graves being disturbed. Their spirits were saying, this isn't right. And to their amazement, the Haneys were not alone. A dozen of their neighbors also began reporting strange issues in their homes. Lights, televisions, and water faucets turning on and off. Residents reported hearing unearthly sounds, and some even saw supernatural apparitions. Even worse, these paranormal events were becoming malicious. Residents of the subdivision wondered if the spirits of the gravesite were angered and were seeking vengeance on the neighborhood. Just like the Haney's, another couple a few doors down, Ben and Jean Williams, thought that they had found their suburban paradise when they moved into the same neighborhood. But Jean said she never felt at peace in the house. From the moment that they moved in, something felt off. She said she first became alarmed when she began trying to garden. She said when she tried to plant new plants, they all died. Every single one of them. She tried fertilizer, but no matter what she did, they would not live. She also said she had a constant foreboding feeling. A feeling that things were not right or something bad was about to happen. And she was right. Shortly after moving in, the Williams said that near their flower bed, sinkholes appeared in the unmistaken shape of coffins. The Williams would fill them in, only to have them mysteriously reappear a few days later. They also found there were markings on an oak tree by the sinkholes, with an arrow towards the ground with two horizontal slash marks, which years ago, tree markings were used to indicate how many graves were there. And the Williams found out that there were two bodies buried on their property, just like the Haney's. But it wasn't just outside the home. The Williams felt their house was being invaded by a menacing presence. They began seeing random shadows sliding along the walls, followed by the sound of disembodied whispering. They also reported a putrid smell coming out of nowhere within the home. At the time, the Williams' granddaughter, Carly, was living with the couple. And even during the blazing heat of summer, Carly said she would stumble into bone-chilling areas of ice-cold air inside the home. She said it would be very, very chilly and you'd have this feeling that something wasn't right. Anywhere in the house, you'd have a feeling that you were not alone. Someone was watching you. It terrified me to be in the house by myself. And get this, really eerie. The family said the toilets used to flush on their own. And as the water went down, they could hear voices emerging from below. It was almost like conversations. Carly said you could hear people murmuring to themselves. 
It was a presence or spirit or something there. Something that wanted to be heard. Wanted me to know it was there. Toilet voices? Ghosts are haunting toilets now? Oh my gosh. I mean, come on. One day, Carly and her grandma were in one of the bedrooms upstairs and decided to lay down and take a nap. When suddenly they heard someone come in through the back door. They listened as this person walked around the first floor and then listened as they heard footsteps coming up the hall towards them. They both sat up, anxiously looking towards the door. At this point, they believed someone was in the house. They just didn't know who. They got up, looked down the hall, looked all over, everywhere. But there was not a soul in sight. No one they could see anyways. Jean Williams believed that all of these things happened to them because they were on the graveyard and felt that they were simply going to be tormented until they left. As things got worse, the Williams debated what to do next. They thought about packing up and leaving, but said they didn't have enough money to make a down payment on another home. So they made a deal that they were going to stick it out, and they said, we've always been fighters, we're going to stay right here and fight it and try to beat it. And according to Ben, it wasn't long before he got his chance to fight. One evening, he said he came home from work around midnight and walked straight to the kitchen to get something to eat. He opened up the refrigerator door, and that's when he looked up to see two ghostly figures in his living room. He watched in horror as the two apparitions moved slowly straight back towards his bedroom where his wife was sleeping. As he watched, he said the two entities shifted into one spirit. He followed it down the hall and saw it was now standing about a foot and a half from the end of the bed over his wife's body as she slept. Wanting to protect his wife and not knowing what to do, he dove through the mass. When he did, he said he felt a sticky cold sensation all over his body. And after this, things took a major turn and got even worse, if you can imagine it. In rapid succession, six of the Williams family members were all diagnosed with cancer, one after another after another. Three succumbed to the disease and passed away. The Williams believed that this amount of sickness and death within this time frame was paranormal, and they couldn't help but connect all of this to the haunting. Now, back down the street at the Haney's, things were getting worse by the day. Judith said the haunting caused her life to unravel. She said, I was crying all the time. I was frightened. I was scared of doing my daily routine in my own home. But what can you do? Well, the Haney's decided to fight back in court. They actually sued the developer for not disclosing that their home was built over a cemetery in part so that everyone would know what was happening in their subdivision. A jury awarded them $142,000 for the mental anguish. But a reversal ruled on legal grounds that the developers were actually not liable. So with the initial verdict thrown out, the Haney's were ordered to pay $50,000 in court costs, and from there, it all really fell apart for the family. And at that point, the Haney's ended up deciding to file for bankruptcy. All in all, they ended up losing the case, losing the money, and losing the house. The Haney's really had no idea what they were getting themselves into when they purchased that home. And the situation they ended up in was devastating, both mentally and financially. Back down the street, the Williams also explored legal recourse, but said they were told without definitive proof of a cemetery on their property, nothing could be done. At her wit's end, it was then that Jean made the decision that she came to regret 
for the rest of her life. She said she had hit her breaking point, and this was the final straw. She said, quote, you want a body? I'll show you a body, end quote. Her plan was to prove that they were on a burial site. She said she believed she could dig about two feet a day and figured that she would eventually reach a body and then be able to take this to the courts. So one day, Jean started digging in the backyard. She was frustrated and determined to end all of this. But soon after she started digging, Jean started to feel strange and immediately fell ill. Feeling so bad, she stepped back, and her adult daughter, Tina, who was there with her, saw her mom get sick and volunteered to finish the job. After digging for about 30 minutes, Tina also started feeling extremely sick, and she too fell ill. Carly, Tina's daughter, was there that day and said, I remember her saying that she felt funny. She was getting dizzy as well. She put the shovel down and she went back inside. She just laid down on the couch. She's like, Mom, Daddy, I don't feel right. There's something wrong. The last thing I remember is her saying, Mommy, take care of my baby. Take care of my baby. As the family was panicking while waiting for paramedics to arrive, Jean tried to keep her daughter conscious, keep her talking, but she was slipping. She said almost immediately her eyes started to glaze over. She pled with her, please, Tina, talk to me. But eventually, Tina wasn't responding at all. Tina had suffered a massive heart attack, and two days later, she died. She had just turned 30 years old. Wow. After this, Jean really took on all the guilt from her daughter's tragic death and said she realized that she had desecrated another grave and said that now she was paying. After this, the Williams knew they had to leave the home immediately. Jean said, we have to get out of here. It doesn't matter what we lose, what we had. They both knew that if they didn't, neither of them would make it out alive. The Williams put their house on the market and moved. The couple escaped to Montana and years later moved back to another house in another neighborhood in Texas. After this, things went back to normal. They didn't experience any other paranormal events and they were no longer plagued by backyard cemeteries, mysterious noises, horrific apparitions, or heartbreaking tragedies. Now the big question is, what about the new residents in the neighborhood? What happened there? Shockingly, none of the current residents have ever reported any kind of paranormal activity. Can you believe that? It's like it started with those families and ended the day they moved out. To this day, although it's been widely discussed, no one has ever been able to provide a logical explanation as to what happened to the Williams or the Haneys. What happened in that neighborhood remains a supernatural mystery. But all of the families firmly believe and know that if they wouldn't have left, they wouldn't have lived to tell the tale. They were counting number days while they were there. Wherever you land on the paranormal spectrum, whether you believe, whether you don't, I find it especially hard to dismiss aspects of this story. The widespread cancer in family members, the death of a seemingly healthy 30-year-old on the property, who began digging up the graves and two days later, she's dead? That's not logical. That's, you've got to start thinking there's something more going on there. And you have nearly the entire neighborhood coming together, all experiencing similar things. It wasn't one or even just two families. 
house after house was affected. It's just terrifying, and it's really unlike any other haunting I have ever heard of. It's not a haunted home, it's like a haunted neighborhood. And this story really goes down as one of the most shocking and brutal cases I have ever heard of. And like they said, it was like the spirits buried on that land were coming for revenge. As always, you know I would love to hear your thoughts on these hauntings. Which story really stuck out to you out of the three? Please leave them in the comments. When it comes to a haunting, it's one thing to see, hear, and feel ghosts within your home, to know the place is haunted. But when the residents in the home start to become ill, physically reflect what's going on inside, that's really scary to me. So please be sure to let me know your thoughts and your experiences. So next week's episode is a real doozy of a story. So mark your calendars. Every Thursday, new episode drops. Until then, I'm Avery Ross, and this is Avery After Dark.